0: Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C level executives, leaders of institutions, and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics they talk? We listen. <laughs> guest today works at the heart of the shift from internal combustion engines to CO2 neutral solutions. He's an engineer, a leader and an individual that best explains the intricate details around the change being expressed and experienced in the automotive industry. Yes, we are heading towards 100% fossil free vehicles and he's going to tell us all about this. Fascinating discussion today at HES Talk as Part of the automotive series where we delve into new solutions, electric car technology, hydrogen fuel cell and battery programs. We will also look at consumers' reactions and the impact on the industry. But before we get into that, here is a brief message.
1: Heads Talk Podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle Schwitter.
0: Henrik Endahl is the chief engineer charging for Volvo Group, responsible for cross-functional activities from technology development and evaluation to industrialization of hybrid and electric powertrains. He has over 15 years experience in systems engineering and was in fact the systems engineer for the first commercialized electric powertrains for Volvo Group. In addition to this, Henrik has a master's degree in electrical and electronics engineering. Today, Henrik will be discussing many of the technical elements to the shift to EVs and hydrogen solutions, so my listeners are in for a treat with the insights they will gain from someone working at senior level in one of the world's leading manufacturers of heavy duty trucks, construction equipment, buses, marine and industrial engines. Further background information here, Henrik has involved in a number of projects to include, but not limited to, one, the electrified city distribution, which involved the identification and description of ICT services related to goods distribution and electrical vehicles, and two, the development of low-cost, high-featured electrical vehicle charging infrastructure. The project involved automotive, telecommunications, and energy partners. Henrik was the technical project lead for this. So let's talk to Henrik now. Um, welcome to Talk. Many thanks for being with us today.
1: Thank you, Elaine.
0: Right. Um, you are one of the early interviews um, that I will have with C-suites and leaders in the automotive industry for this new series. So I'm very Anticipative, if that's a word, uh, of this discussion today, let's start by asking about the shift to EVs and hydrogen powered vehicles. Um, it's happening generally and across the board, um, but not really at a fast pace, despite the sense of urgency we hear and see on news medias everywhere and elsewhere. How is this happening? Why the fairly subdued pace? Um, what are the key steps and processes to, hear, to adhere to here that us with layman eyes cannot see?
1: Well, in in uh, to, to start off, there's a big inertia in, in the industry, so to say. Uh, we we've been heading in one direction for quite some time. Uh, the uh, new kind of technologies has been emerging uh, emerging for for quite some some time now. Uh, and once the technical maturity and also the the, the price levels sooner or later will, will are dropping, uh, we are then heading into a, to a different kind of direction. But it takes a little bit of time to to change. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we need to, to get our product development in place uh, in the case of electrification and, high, and vehicles, the hydrogen vehicles. The infrastructure or the charging infrastructure um, takes a bit of time to establish. Um, and uh, also there is a, uh, how should I say, a self-reinforcing uh, part of this where um, the initial sales of vehicles will uh, will be rather... At, at, at a rather high price level mm-hmm. uh, while the more vehicles you sell the more you can invest in development and the, the cheaper the vehicles will be and the, the greater the volume will become in the end mm-hmm. and what you say about a, a nascent um, market introduction um, I uh, generally do agree with you um, but it's also a market to market thing so if you compare um um, so the, the, the average sales in Europe uh, for for passenger cars is uh, towards um, some of the more progressive countries like Norway, partially Sweden, uh, and Holland, the Benelux countries in, in general. Um, you will see very very different um, uh, different shares of, of electric vehicles being uh, put on the roads, mm-hmm. and this this is then. Um, will stay similar in the domain where, where we are operating as Volvo Group uh, with the heavy duty vehicles. Um, especially if you look at the truck and uh, construction side, if you see on buses, especially city buses, uh, then electric vehicles has actually been around for some years, and and a fair share of of uh, the um, the market has become electric, which I think a lot of of ordinary or, or everyday people can see actually on the streets of, of European cities uh, yeah. you yeah. can often maybe not find a, a, an electric vehicle on every road but in most of the cities yeah. there will be one which you can can ride with.
0: Okay. Let, let, let's stick with that and, and that's for introducing the, the buses. I think with the introduction of BUVs and um, battery electric vehicles In the different categories, and one expects a full rollout in the in the 2020s. Which group? I mean, you mentioned buses, but which group, um, for example, waste distribution, long haulage, um, are um able to transition and adopt to BEVs relatively faster than the others? And, And why do you believe this is this to be?
1: Well, the the first products on the market uh, are for for city distribution and refuse trucks, Uh, you can call uh, us or in some cases our competitors as well, uh, start a discussion on what you want to buy and place an order, Mm -hmm. Uh, you will get it delivered and you can start operating that within yeah, uh, lead times are slightly longer than for passenger cars. Uh, you you need to have a bodybuilder and, and so on uh, installing the the specific equipment for your application. Uh, but when within a few months, this this can actually be put in place. Um, the the reason why focusing on this kind of vehicles uh, is that they have at least two of the the uh, the prerequisites. That is. Um, I should say, of, of importance for the uh, for the first week to be put on the market. Uh, the, the first one is that they are operating to a decently fixed schedule. Uh, so you can actually plan for their operation to make sure that they uh, they have an appropriately sized battery um, and that they have access to the, the charging infrastructure that is necessary mm-hmm. in order to, to make them run. Um, Additionally, they are usually returning to the same place, so the geographic installation of, of, of once again the charging infrastructure is yeah. is fairly um, simple compared to if you operate a truck running all over Europe. Yes. Um, next step then, uh, which is also what we have uh, have presented and, and uh, are going into production, is the regional operation trucks. Mm. Uh, they are used in a in a wider Geographic area. Uh, Usually they are are still returning home at night, so the bulk of the energy can be provided by the the, um, charging infrastructure that you can control yourself. Um, We we certainly believe that there will be a a role to play for shared charging infrastructure, Um, also for these vehicles. Uh, The the, um, total cost of ownership of, of such a Operation is largely dependent on on, uh, the distance travelled by the vehicle. Uh, In in most of our markets, the the, uh, the distance uh, a driven uh, driven kilometre on electricity is cheaper than a a, a kilometre driven by by a diesel vehicle, Mm -hmm. and thus the more kilometres you accumulate, the easier it will become to to amortise on the uh, higher investment you will see on battery electric vehicles.
0: Okay, and, and as an add-on to this question, and be as technical as you, you want, what's the merits of battery electric over fuel cell electric, or even vice versa?
1: I think the first and most obvious merits of, of battery electric vehicle is, is that they are already on the market. Uh, you can um, buy these from, from many different uh, operators or um, vehicle producers, um, so, so technology has come a few steps uh, forward. Mm-hmm. Um, second thing here is that they they are um, partially leveraging, or perhaps more leveraging, the the uh, passenger car industry technical development and in some cases standardization, especially when it comes to to, to charging them. Mm-hmm. Um, additionally, uh, I believe one one of the uh, better things with the, with the battery vehicles is that they are more energy efficient, meaning that the, the uh, energy prices or, or the cost of operating will, will be lower than, than a um, hydrogen vehicle. Uh, building on a few assumptions on, on utilization of the charging infrastructure and, and so on and so on. Okay. On the, the, uh, the downside, uh, which is then the upside of the hi- downside of the battery vehicle, upside of the hydrogen vehicle, Uh, As mentioned, the the range of the battery vehicle is is, uh, more limited uh, and the refueling time of of a battery vehicle is longer than than for a hydrogen vehicle, um, which uh, can then weigh weigh up the potential higher energy costs for for hydrogen vehicles um, to to be more fit for some um, uh, some specific applications, or potentially a larger share of the, the, the total number of applications that we see out there. We, we th- There are many different scenarios or pathways on, on where this may end up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thus, the, the, the hedging that we do, uh, we are now developing and uh, selling battery electric vehicles, but as you know, we have also announced the joint venture together with the diner uh, yes, to get to talk the, about
0: that later in the um, episode
1: yeah yeah so so um, yeah but, but this this is one of the, the backgrounds of this it's it's not fully obvious which way this will take uh, mm-hmm. and thus we, we we need to consider both of the options i would say
0: all right okay so you you're not sort of putting your your mark on one that you prefer over the other so you've just sort of given us sort of across the board what's the advantages and disadvantages of both okay yeah.
1: and and perhaps to, to add to this as well uh, there's a fair share of the vehicle that is common to the both of them obviously the the um, uh, the hydrogen powered vehicle does not have a big battery installed and vice versa the battery vehicle does not have a big bat- uh, hydrogen Uh, tanks installed, uh, but beyond this, a a large share actually uh, of the components are the same. Obviously, the the typical truck stuff, the the frame, the the cabin, the the, uh, wheels and so on are are the same, Mm -hmm. but also the powertrain. So the the electrical motor, the gearbox, the uh, whatever component you can find are are very similar, making it, how should I say, less painful to pursue both um, paths at the same time.
0: All right. Okay. Now that's interesting. That's interesting. Now now, now this one I, I I'm I'm quite interested in your thoughts on this. So, so let's look specifically at um goods transportation, the supply chain, and the, the decarbonizing progress here. And um, we have a lot of external forces pushing and driving this change. However, who internally, beats a group within the supply chain, is championing this? Who's pushing for this more than the others within the supply chain? And what are the cost issues here? Uh, and with all stakeholders benefit from this shift? Please take my listeners through some of your thoughts and, and the dilemmas in this space.
1: Well, uh, as, as, you, uh, as you indicate, there are many, many, many ones included in this. Uh, I would say, as, as mentioned on our capital market days, the, the uh, last year, I think we need to start this in the end that... Well, uh, although transportation is is a bit of a cost, in the final consumer goods, it's a fairly small share. Uh, So what we will need to see over time is that um, for some time, the share may increase a little little bit. Uh, Mm -hmm. We are getting more, um, uh, more, uh, a little bit more uncertainty, uh, meaning that we, for example, we need to hedge a little bit. We need to develop our technology we need to put, put the production processes in place and so on. Uh, and this will, will have a little bit of, a, of a, a bottom line impact on the people that actually voted for, for, for decarbonization in the end. Um, this being said, a lot of the actors inside of, of uh, the distribution of goods is active and will have to be active. Uh, the, the OEM as Volvo Group for mm-hmm. sure have a, um, a large uh, share of this I mean, we, we need to be at the forefront to make sure that the products are actually there, there, so that somebody can buy one of these trucks. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and 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 this is something we we need to prove, and we need to, to tell uh, tell the world that we we are serious about this. We we put pro- proper amounts of, of uh, investment uh, or development resources in in this to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, Next step, as, as mentioned quite a bit before, uh, the infrastructure side needs to become in place. Uh, we we need to have power where we are supposed to to uh, to charge our vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, before this happens, uh, there has to be a trust in us that, that the uh, that the products will be there. There also has to be trust that customers will actually purchase if these, put them on the road and, and make them roll. And in order for our customers to do this, they, they need the, their, um their customers the ones that is actually purchasing transport to uh, um, to potentially initially pay a little bit more for the transports in order to decarbonize this
0: mm-hmm. so, so so there needs to be a lot of investment basically um there has to be a lot of investment and a lot of commitment so that's what you're saying yeah. Um, beforehand okay and let's look at some of the some numbers here um we know the overall benefit of this approach that's why we all do it on a sort of on a global level this decarbonizing drive and the decarbonizing of goods transport and the supply chain but but can you give me some um numbers here what are the tangible benefits for the end consumers the end customers or the ordinary public that that can relate to and understand uh, with the shift um, from IC- ics to evs what information can you provide my listeners to show the benefit uh,
1: p- perhaps first a small short comment uh, on on the the combustion engine uh, from a, a co2 point of view the combustion engine as such is, is not a major uh, not the major problem uh, it's actually the fuel that you put in there and we we do have the view view that some uh, smaller or larger share of, of our uh, applications will require the the kind of performance that is provided. The, the uh, extreme range that we see from from uh, from a um, uh, for example, bio, uh, bio, uh, vehicle f- fueled by bio-LNG uh, will, will also be required in some cases in the future as well. Okay. This being said, uh, the um, uh, the direct uh, advantage of of uh, zero emission vehicles. Uh, is, um is if you look inside of a city um the any combustion engine is, is emitting a little bit of uh, um, um how should I say uh, a little bit of, of emissions that is uh, not co2 uh, you have yeah. uh, you have NOx you have particles and so on uh, which is is uh, bad for your health essentially uh where the battery or hydrogen vehicle the, these will uh, be gone simply uh, from from the powertrain at least uh, mm-hmm. so this is a direct effect that that should be possible to track in um, in statistics for, from what, what kind of uh, uh, diseases you see in the hospital more or less yeah. um, we we obviously have the co2 effects um, dependent on how you produce your energy um, you will see a, a smaller impact on the on the global warming mm-hmm. uh, which is then the I mean that the the, the uh, worldwide global uh, reason to why we, we try to walk this uh, this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and what else can be said? Um, yeah, you reduce uh, noise levels. Um, you uh, you give the the, the drivers a uh, more pleasant uh, driving not experience maybe but working environment uh, where you 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 put them under less stress from from noise and vibrations and so on mm-hmm. I was,
0: they, I was, yeah, okay and I was, I was sort of thinking of sort of what, what was about end consumers and customers in sort of in the in the retail environment when they're buying products and they want to adhere to you know the, the sustainability drive they want to adhere to um looking at, at their own carbon footprint and through products that they buy and the choices that they've given them. And surely, if a, cho- if a product's been delivered by an electric vehicle, that could be stamped on the actual product itself. That would make them feel um, more willing to choose product A as, as opposed to product B. I mean, those are the sort of things that I, I was you know, thinking about as well in terms of tangible end benefits. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, they, this is a little bit of a dilemma because the, the end consumer will have a little bit of a hard time really seeing how their, their package of milk was delivered to the, the grocery store where they pick it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do believe that this will be more prominent where you have more direct uh, contact with the, the company that is executing the transport service. Uh, so you will, will, will see it in your partial delivery, for example. Um, that, that uh, some of the, the, some packages will be delivered with an electric vehicle to your doorstep. Mm-hmm. Um, probably not by our vehicles, because they're slightly too big. <laughs> but but, uh, but
0: you'll be part of the supply chain, I'm assuming.
1: Exactly. Um, and, and whoever puts this supply chain together will make sure that this is obvious when, when they, they uh, come with their, their van to, to leave you the goods that they are carrying. Uh, so, so this is something you will directly see. You, you may see in, in some cases that uh, you will have an option to choose for, for a more um, uh, CO2 transport. Mm-hmm. That is also when one way of recovering a little bit of the initial costs um, that, that some of our it's already on the market and, and some of, of the main uh, delivery companies are, are using this kind of approach to. Yeah. To regain a little bit of of the initial uh, initial investment, as I
0: mentioned. Okay, Okay, let's let's talk about something you've alluded to um, earlier in the episode uh, on a couple of occasions. This is about the shared charging infrastructure. Um, You know, corporations, organizations are embarking on collaborative working and partnerships quite voraciously in recent times, some due to the pandemic and others for mutual benefits in, in meeting some of their sort of ESG targets. Volvo is no exception to this. They have embarked on a partnership and a big recent one, um, the one with um, the Dana Truck and Tratton Group. It's an ambitious joint project to introduce and operate an efficient public charging network for BEVs across Europe. Where are you with this and what is the thinking behind this? Some numbers would be great.
1: The, um, uh, the the present state we have published the memorandum of understanding uh, or the press release about the memorandum of understanding we, which you can uh, you have seen and, and um, uh, in there it's noted that we uh, intend to form this company which will be a standalone company uh, having its own board of directors and so on uh, with a charging network to cover at least parts of of the geography of of Europe. Um, We are also uh, acknowledging that this will not solve the complete problem. Uh, Mm -hmm. As as our joint lobby organization in Brussels have have calculated based on our input, um, this will cover around 10 to 15% of the public charging Mm -hmm. that we expect to be needed. But it also shows that we will put some serious money into this. Um, I think some, something in the range of 500 million euros has been discussed, um, which is also a way for us to know that, well, this is for real. We are putting real money um, into an industry that is actually quite far from our core core uh, competence. Yes, yes. um, but we, it needs to be done. Um, in order for, for, for this future to actually evolve in a proper way. So we want to kickstart everything. Uh, we want to show that it's for real. Um, we don't want to take the full market. Uh, as I said, it's not our core business. We want to make sure that everybody else that is building charging infrastructure also consider char- building this for, for heavy-duty vehicles. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think that was the, the majority think... of, of the thoughts I had on this topic. Yeah.
0: What I wanted to say was, um, will there be any state involvement in, in, in this? Because it's such a big undertaking um, for purely private organizations. The state involvement um, and, and to what level? Do you know? Will, will there be any of the involvement on in that level? Uh,
1: we will obviously apply for, for the kinds of uh, funding uh, from, from different schemes that is available in different different states where the charging infrastructure will put in pl- be put in place and, and also at a European level there are, are uh, all these kind of things to, to, um, to request um, but it's not really a prerequisite for, for the joint venture to, to get rolling. Uh, I mean we, we would as I mentioned we, we would have to make this start rolling in one way or the other uh, and if we need to put some, some of our own money into this in order to show that, that it's it's time now um, it's not really dependent on whether Germany or France or Sweden uh, and, and the governments in there um, want to to subsidize or, or support in any other way. all, all help is welcome uh, and uh, the more help we get the bigger the, the network will become uh, while uh, as I said it's, it's not really a prerequisite
0: okay. Okay, that's fine. Um, okay, I, I want to talk briefly about um, some of the side effects um, of this global shift away from fossil fuel solutions to and get your views on this. First, the shift from diesel to electric battery operations um, will inevitably cause concerns for OEMs in the, the ice space. Um, a fair percentage of moving parts, for example, are, are removed from the vehicle when converting from combustion engine to electric and therefore provisions of these parts products will be obsolete surely. And what are you seeing in this space and are such organisations transitioning to provide hybrid services and or parts for example, or do you foresee a major overall in the area down the line, you know, social overall in terms of jobs and obsolescence of skills etc.
1: I would say, I think this is a, a tiny bit overstated, uh, for, for sure, the combustion is, engine is a complicated thing. Uh, if somebody would come up today we're going to do something with, with control explosions that will last for 10 to 20 years in, in a very harsh environment, uh, we would probably be be considered quite quite stupid. Uh, <laughs> it's been around for quite some time, there has been an uh, extensive amount of, of um, um, Engineering effort put into actually making them work. And there have been investments, uh, for sure, in, in facilities to produce them. Um, but if you look at the overall scope of of a vehicle, um, then the combustion is is a not a small, perhaps, but it's for sure not the major part of the vehicle. You you have a lot of, uh, uh, as I mentioned before, you have the cabin, you have the frames, you have the wheels, you have the gearbox, you have the transmission uh, or rest of the powertrain and so on and so further and this will be quite similar in in uh, in an electric vehicle and will remain for for production to to keep track of and make sure that it it works obviously okay um so so what what will change um in, in a product development department, uh, some of the, the, the really core experts for, for combustion engines may have a, a little bit of a hard time uh, finding finding jobs in the future. But there is a big bulk of people around them. Um, there, there are mechanical engineers. Those are needed for, for designing electrical machines, for example. Uh, there are production specialists who, who know to design something so that it's can cheaply be produced in a large uh, at a large scale. Um, there are logistics experts uh, who, who will be equally needed if we so today. So so a little bit of core competence will shift, but the bulk of, of the engineering will be very similar. Looking at at um, facilities for for producing, um, there is a big movement within Europe uh, to get battery production, not locally perhaps, but within the borders of, of the European Union, mm-hmm. uh, creating a, a whole bunch of jobs. And I would say the the, the the same thing goes there. There are machine operators that is necessary that can move from one, one uh, kind of production to another. Uh, you need people driving forklifts, you need um, uh, logistics planners, you need uh, uh, part handling to make sure that the the piece is the right way and so on. Um, uh, so there, there is a big possibility for transition. Right. Um, and then then obviously you have the the uh, the depreciation of the actual machining tools and so on, um, and, and for 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 casting and so on. That may may be parts that will. Um, how should I say, um, may, may become less valuable in, yeah. in the mm-hmm. future. Okay. On the mm-hmm. other hand, the, these are regularly re- uh, replaced anyway, um, and the combustion engine is not com- going away tomorrow. Uh, to, to give you an, an idea about the numbers, we have had the Swedish markets, which is a fairly progressive market from this point of view um the joint statement between us and, and the Scania group within the interest organization for, for automotive in Sweden is that in 2030 we believe that 50 percent of the sales will be electric uh, from a fleet point of view uh this will then uh, or a rolling fleet point of view this will then imply that 10 to 15 percent of the vehicles are actually electric given the 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 turnover rate of the the overall fleet uh so from a service perspective uh, there's actually ample time to, to change from, from one kind of technology to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, as I said, from, from a production point of view, the large parts of, of the tooling, for example, is anyway regularly replaced and, and thus we can wear the present tools out until they have um, zero, zero value anymore anyway, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, regardless of, of the shift we are, we are facing.
0: Right, so, so there is time. To, there's plenty of time to change and to transition and to adapt. That's basically what you're yeah. saying here. Yeah,
1: and I mean, we, we want to run this quicker. Uh, we want to push this forward as as uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, but still, let let's say that we tomorrow start producing only electric vehicles. Um, it's still a seven to time year time frame before we get the present vehicles off the road. Mm. Uh, so there will be a gradual transition. Um, mm-hmm.
0: All right. OK, that's interesting. OK, um, a change of direction, um, a final two questions in, in this episode. Um, what is Volvo doing in the autonomous vehicle solution or, or smart vehicle space? And how are you utilising AI technology, for example, to to assist you in your sustainable solutions um, programme? Can you excite my listeners with some interesting developments in this space?
1: Although it's not my specialty, I'll, I'll do my best at least. Um, well uh, what uh, is uh, what you should have seen we have a business unit of its own uh, intending to to commercialize this kind of technology mm-hmm. uh, they're they approaching this on a as I said a commercial basis uh, looking for opportunities where you can actually reduce uh, the cost of operation for for uh, for transportation by introducing this kind of technology um, they are presently focused on on a closed environment um, operations, uh, so, so places like uh, mines, for example, uh, where you don't have a lot of uh, public dr- <laughs> running around, more or less, you, you can actually control the, the, the kind of environment where, where you're operating, okay. which is a starting point then, uh, in order to, to accumulate the, the knowledge that would be necessary in order to to actually move forward on this path and look into more Complicated situations. Uh, my my presumption in this case is that well, next uh, next stage you have a decently controlled environment. When, but when one when where there's a, a bunch of of um, people uh, around that you need to take care of, and then you will step take a step by step until you. You enter the, the uh, probably the, the open spaces of a highway. This is still a fairly predictable environment, uh, and then you, you take the step forward potentially in, into the even more complex situation of, of a, uh, a rural road, perhaps, or or, or even a, a city. Cool. And al- although the the business unit now is focusing on trucks, uh, this is. Uh, potentially even more prominent in in the construction area, uh, where you have, uh, once again, looking at mines, looking at gravel pits, at uh, um, industries making concrete and so on. Um, There's a need for for frequent transports from uh, in in a fixed environment. So so they have the the same kind of things as well. Um, Another one would be a bus garage uh, where the driver uh, drop their bus at the entrance uh, and then, then head home and do not have to park. Um, it saves a little bit for the ti- time for the driver for sure, but the other benefit you, you, you get is that actually a computer can park your bus much better than a human can, uh, so you can fit them, uh, yeah. you can fit more buses on, on the same area, um, and you will probably... Now I don't want to, to, to make any of our bus drivers angry. Uh, they, they are excellent people and they're doing a very good job. Um, but every now and then they bump into things. And in, in a controlled environment, the computer will probably be more um able uh to, to avoid this happening.
0: Okay, there's all bings going on. All right. Um let's let's end on a a global presence question. Um China and Japan are the big players in this EV and autonomous vehicle market. What is being done in Europe to ensure its market position and competitiveness and what subsidies I think you mentioned earlier in in the conversation or government involvement, do you know of or even initiatives that are helping the industry shift to EVs and perhaps what lessons could be learned if at all from APAC with their relatively quick adoption plans?
1: I think the, the major thing that is, is on everybody's lips and, and minds right now is, is battery production and to make sure that this ends up in, um, in uh, Europe or its, it's nearby mm-hmm. countries. Uh, one of the reasons is, uh, is of course, uh, to, to make sure that manufacturing jobs stay here. Um, secondary reason may be that transportation of batteries is actually a little bit complicated. If you have too many batteries in the in the same truck and that goes off the road, um, it, it's not very nice because uh, have, having them installed in a vehicle is one thing, then you have appropriate protection while storing them on, on, the, uh, on, the, on the trailer is a different thing. Um, in addition to this, uh, being close to production, eh, implies that you, uh, you have better access to, to, um, uh, to, to the main reason for, for performing development activities. And the activities we, we take care of, or we reutilize the, the asset that I mentioned before, um, the one that perhaps needs to be slightly tweaked into to, uh, to, um, not designing um, the, the, uh, the diesel engine structure uh, while uh, and instead making the, the electric machine. Um, so that is, is one part. And then uh, down the line you will have the, the reach research topic. If there's an industry around there is more interest in, in actually performing research. Um, so, so you get it all all the way through the um, how should I say uh, the, the, the knowledge chain that is necessary in order to make the, this work then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can see the same thing. Uh, now coming up with the with, um, uh, power electric uh, components or, or semiconductor components uh, where the same kind of worries are being voiced now. Well, well uh, the supply chains are really hard to grasp. They are a little bit sensitive. Uh, we, we are now running out of containers because one of the ports of China has been closed, and that gives a big ripple effect throughout the world which makes it hard to get the components back to to um, uh, to Europe uh, and I would presume that this this will be supported in many, by, by many governments and also from Brussels uh, to, to find ways of, of establishing um, such kind of, of um, manufacturing also in in the European Union bringing more more quality, uh, qualified work perhaps uh, more uh, um, uh, more of the the value creation will end up here um, yeah. and in the end it, it will benefit the, the the customer and also the environment I would say to to reduce the the need for transportation where this is possible where we have the raw materials available and and so on and I, to, to some extent, also believe that this will work the other way around. Uh, we are quite progressive, for example, in, in creating uh, low CO2 steel. Um, it's a lot of energy, uh, but as our energy system is, is transitioning, uh, we um, we th- this will, will increase. Um, and the process knowledge of this is actually being built up in uh, within, the, within Europe, and, and particularly actually in the northern of Sweden, uh, where there are plans for, for establishing the first production sites for, for this kind of things.
0: Okay, so, so I want my main takeaway from this is that you must ensure the, the manufacturer, uh, manufacturing of the batteries um, in Europe. That, that is imperative, um, as a start of a 10, term in, in terms of ensuring your competitiveness. On,
1: on that level okay yeah, well, that's... for sure and and the technical knowledge on how to design these things yeah um and you need to both for 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 the production part in the, in the CO2 impact of, of the vehicle uh, you need to reduce your your or change your your energy um production of of the um of the the region where you are operating um, And in addition to this the, the, uh, the well-to-wheel of, of the fuel you're using need to be be transitioned as well. And in battery electric vehicle case, also in the hydrogen case, then, then we need to look into more renewables from this point of view. Okay. And in, in this case, uh, perhaps important to state that in in, in a commercial vehicles, the use case is by far the major energy consumer. Uh, the production is for sure a part, um, but, but the... The number of kilometers driven and the the consumption of our vehicles makes the the use phase really, really important.
0: Yeah, I think that's comprehensive. Henrik Endal, a very educational conversation today. Many thanks for your time and insights. My pleasure, Eileen. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elaineprinkle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders and heads of multinationals.
1: Heads Talk podcast with your host,
0: Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.